This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is our last message in a series that involves the first 11 verses of Peter. We're talking about Ticket to Life. Now, Ticket to Life was taken from one of the verses that speaks about the tickets we receive to go to higher levels in life. God desires that you go forward, not backwards. God desires that you go through doors of opportunity, not lose those doors. God desires that your life would be more abundant, not lack. God desires that your prayers would be answered. God desires your relationships would be stronger. God desires that you would be a servant that would reach out and touch other people, serve other people, help other people, do something significant for someone else's life. Never live a selfish life. Live for others, minister to others, and think about others, not just your own need. The Apostle Peter puts into this package what it means to have tickets to life. My definition for ticket is a special pass offered to you by Jesus. The first pass, of course, is salvation. To enter into specified places, that's the will of God, the opportunity doors that God wants open for your life. That requires someone to pay the cost of the ticket. Now, the ticket for salvation, cost paid, Christ. Ticket for opportunity doors, cost paid, you. Through your disciplines, through those things you add to your life to go through the door. All of Christianity is a miracle. There's no doubt about it. Miracle grace, supernatural, being born again is a supernatural experience. But growth is a partnership. It's not a supernatural event. It's a partnership process. You cannot have an event that a process should accomplish. Even if you come to church for the event, you still have to have a process in your life. And that process is to grow. So once you accept Christ and that embryonic Jesus in you and that new nature and the things that you have, you know you should have, you should decide to grow. And as you grow, you actually, with character and the things that Peter talks about, you actually pay the cost in your own disciplines to go to higher levels in life that you will never touch without the disciplines in your life, the natural, the spiritual. If you don't have disciplines in your life in the natural, you'll miss doors of opportunity. You'll miss it when you don't do the right classes or you mess up on your job or you just don't discipline yourself or you're in a job and you won't take more training or you miss an opportunity somehow because you just didn't have the time to give yourself to it and so you let it slip by and someone else gets it. You can get angry at them, but maybe they paid the price. Maybe they actually saw the open door and they paid the price for the door. Peter talks about that in this series of verses 1 through 11. 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9 will be my text today. And I want you to notice, if you're marking your Bible, hopefully you are, for if these things are yours, whatever your translation says, try to underline the piece that says, if these things are in you, or they're yours, or they belong to you, or you have them, whatever your translation says, note it. For if these things are yours, and abound. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these things, short-sighted. Matter of fact, they'll become blind. And they will forget 
the greatness of what God has done on their life. They'll forget it. They'll actually forget the greatest thing that has ever happened to them. They'll forget about being cleansed from their sins and the cross and the grace and that time where your life was changed. They'll forget about it and just go on. Peter says, you don't want that to happen. The exceed ticket is what I'm after. And that's the one word abound in that scripture. The exceed ticket is this. I'm taking just that one Greek word, abound. If you want to circle it in your Bible, write this little Greek word, pleonazo. You can see what Peter is trying to say. It's a ticket that causes us, notice, to increase and abound in spiritual virtues available to us and keeps us from ever being useless, unproductive, ineffective, or short-sighted. Wow, those are big mouth-filled words to never be, never be, ever, unproductive. To, to never be useless, to, to never be ineffective, to never be short-sighted. Can that actually be a promise that Peter can offer? Yes, it's in the Bible. He offers it. But he says there's a key to this. Not only do you understand or need to understand what these things are, and I'll say what they are again so you got them. Peter says you have to abound. The word abound means more than enough. Exceed beyond the limits. Go beyond the line. Go further than what is necessary. You abound in these things. You don't just get self-control. You abound with self-control. You don't just get excellence. You abound with excellence. So Peter not only lays the foundation, says, look it, you need these things in your life. You need faith. And he starts going through them. You absolutely have to have them. But he says the secret is not just having them. The secret is for you to abound so much in them that you are going beyond and above anything that you could ever imagine. And as you abound in these things, Peter says, I guarantee you, if you exceed the limit, who are the people that get promoted? Those that exceed the limit. You usually do not promote normal. You don't promote those who just do what they have to do. You don't give raises to the person who just does the eight to four, a minute before eight and a minute after four, and that's all they do is say, hey, I'm doing my job. You might be doing your job, but you need to excel in your job. You need to actually increase what you do with your job. You need to go beyond. Same in the kingdom of God. When God looks down and says, I want to use so-and-so, but he's so normal that he's not really trying to acquire any more faith about anything. He never prays for people. He never witnesses to people. He never asked anything large of me. I would never even have to listen to his prayers and I could answer them every day because he doesn't pray anything new. It's always about something he doesn't have and something he needs, but he never enlarges his world of prayer. That person never increases their faith. They never go after the hard case, never go after the hard mountain. They stay the same their whole Christian life. And Peter is saying, if you want to have these things, then you have to exceed in these things in order for you to really accomplish what God wants. Now, when Peter says, if you have these things, it's the Greek word for these things is things that are at hand in your possession, you own them. Now, I can as a parent, try to get a child to have these things, but they have to own them. Ultimately in their life, they have to own them. 
I can preach to you about prayer, worship, and witness, and power, and Holy Spirit, and, and uh, you know, excellence, and virtue, and, and the gifts of the Spirit, and how to serve, and how to, how to knock the ball out of the park in life. I can teach you a lot of things, but it's not the teaching that moves a person to another level. It's the possession. If they don't possess those things, they don't move. And so even though they understand them, they don't possess them. They're not personally stacked into their spirit. They're not part of their character. It's not something they do. You can hear about prayer the rest of your life, but you have to pray. You have to take time to pray. I can tell you that the Word of God strengthens you, but you have to read it. More than one scripture a day on a little card or something. I mean, you have to go after it. But of course, if you don't want to increase, if you don't want to add anything to your spirit, if you don't want to be challenged with anything more than what you have, then you need to understand whatever has got you to where you have gotten to, if you don't change it, it won't get you any further. It will only get you to where you are. Now, if you're happy where you are, I am not. I'm not happy where I'm at. I'm pressing in all the time. When I see the kingdom of God, I see things I should have. I press into those things. I pray, I fast, I go after those things. I, I change my lifestyle. I do whatever I have to do because I realize I don't want to be stuck right here. I need to press in. Now, if you're like me, you need to press in also. Now, the words that we have gone through in the series that Peter says these things, if you have these things, exchange, Give one thing and receive something better, which is simply a radical regeneration. And faith, you have a beginning of faith. I don't know what I'd do without faith. Thought about it the other day. What would I do without faith? What would I do if what I heard was the end of the conversation? Oh my, that's it, huh? Or what I see, that's the end of sight. That's all. That's all I get is what I see. What I hear, what I see, what I feel, what I can touch. If that was the end of the whole thing, how discouraging. How absolutely discouraging it would be if faith was not in the realm of believing. There's more you can reach. God can turn. There's a reversal coming. You can actually go for it. There's a lot more in the kingdom of God. All you need to do is stretch into it. You don't have to stay where you are. Faith lifts your spirit and pushes you forward. Can I hear an amen? amen. What would you do without the exchange? Two, we talked about the word endeavor, which is add disciplines, partnership. Three, excellence, which is what? Going after that thing that God's called you to go after, and you pursue it, and you excel in it until you achieve it. Four, we talked about education, not just any kind of education. Talked about God knowledge, like Peter talked about. Deliberate pursuit of more knowledge of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe it's just me and my funny ways, but every once in a while, just the other day, I had to do it, in my study, all my theological books are on this particular shelf. My whole office is books, over 6,000 of them. So when I step into my office, it's my world. It's my world of prayer, books, everything I need is right there. And that's where I spend my time. But every once in a while, I just got to reach for a theological book, pull it out, go to the attributes of God, and just read them again. What is God like? What does God do? I need to challenge my thinking about God. I'm beginning to feel myself 
zero in too much on limitations and what is wrong and what I can't change and what is happening. And, and I get so bogged down, I forget that there's a thing called the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. All things work together for good, that God is in control, that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or imagine, that God is always at work in my past, in my future, in every part of my life. God is never caught by surprise. He is my God. He is your God. He's working on your behalf, working on my behalf. He never stops. He's good. He wants to do do something great in your life. It helped me to lift my faith and say, by the way, I'm serving a good God. A big God. An awesome God. Why am I so limited in what I'm praying? Heaven does not busy itself with prayers that don't stretch heaven. God is not busying himself with the normal. God would like some things that would stretch his attributes. Knowledge, education, energize, self-control. Hope I got that across the disciplines. Emulate godliness, and then right now, the word exceed, which is the word abound. These things within, those are the things I'm talking about. Now, here's my definition for these things within us, all right? The within factor means we have, and hopefully you are building on divine nature, you have it. We have the work of the Spirit going on inside of us, alive and powerful. Now, what I want you to concentrate on with this definition is what Peter digs out. Is there something going on inside of you that you could put a pulse on and say, God dealing with man. Is there something going on inside of you that you would say, I'm pressed to the wall on this one and... Jesus is changing it. Do you have something that would be recognizable called the work of God inside? Are you changing? Do you feel it? Are you challenged about any area of your character? Is there something you're pressing in to change through prayer and application of Holy Spirit and Word of God? Do you feel something going on? like a pot on the potter's wheel where the clay and you're, do you feel the Jeremiah 18 that he's working? He's working the clay. Do you feel the Philippians where it says he's begun a good work in you? Work, Argos, shaping, pottery, newness. He's done something in you that it's lasting. And if you don't feel a work of God going on inside of you, stop. Fall to your knees. Say, Jesus, I don't think I'm changing at all. And I don't remember the last time I felt conviction or visitation or something of the Holy Spirit saying, I rise early in the mornings, very early, because that's my time. I don't know why I just... I wake up without an alarm clock around the world, wherever I'm at, I wake up very early. Never need an alarm clock. When I wake up, many times the Holy Spirit speaks to me right then. And if I'm not careful, I miss it. Yesterday morning when I woke up, 
I was walking to put on my study clothes so I can go to my office and not wake Sharon up. The Holy Spirit, bam, bam, right there, bam. Just as quick and sharp as a knife on the operating table said, hey, this is the word for you right here. It was so impacting that I actually, as I was getting dressed, I actually said the word out loud three times, saying, wow, huh, huh. I, I, I got to pray this one through. Today, when I got up, early this morning, I started praying for things, and things started coming back at me. Why? Because there's something going on inside of me. I'm not dead inside. I'm alive. I have a voice called the Holy Spirit. I have a Jesus that visits me. There's something going on about my life and, and you and the church and decisions and everything about my life is you. Everything about my life is church and family. And so when Jesus starts talking, I'm listening very carefully. A question. Is he talking to you? Is anything coming up? Is there any stirring for another person? Stirring burden to pray for someone right then. Right then. Man, I just got to pray for this person. Later on, you find out, wow, that was... When you have a work going on inside of you, Peter says, four things are guaranteed. Are you ready? Here they are. Four things guaranteed. If you will let these be your possession, and they're alive in you, and you're walking with Jesus, four things. Number one, he says, you will never be, interesting, unemployed. That's the word. The word barren in your Bible, whatever translation you have, is the word argos. And the word argos means idle, lazy, useless, careless, inactive, inoperative, unemployed. The fig tree, this word is used. It was inactive, unemployed. It wasn't doing and producing what it was supposed to do. It was unemployed, unengaged with what it was supposed to produce. In America, there's 12.8 million people unemployed right now. With those millions of people, that's the ones they can track. There's a lot more they can't track, and there's a reason. Those people go through all kinds of identity crisis, unemployment, the worst hell on earth. If it lasts long, because you lose self-worth, you lose identity, you lose achievement, you lose what we really are made to do, and that is to do something and see ourselves productive in something. But when you're unemployed, if you have to wait in line to get a check, it's, it's a demeaning thing for a lot of people. If you get turned down a hundred times for a job, you start thinking, maybe there really is something wrong with me. Maybe I should have and I didn't, and uh, man, I don't understand this. There's another word that they use in America to define a group of people that are unemployed. They call it, and there's a, an actual research paper written on this called the discouraged worker. The discouraged worker is a person who has been misplaced and doesn't believe they'll ever find a place. 
They don't even go back to the unemployment line. They don't even go back to applying for the job they used to have. They don't go back to education. They just kind of drift into some lower level of living. Why? Because they've lost hope that they will ever be placed in something that would be satisfying or significant or fruitful. And so they're called the discouraged worker, which is our nation's biggest fear that we have so many millions of discouraged people that are working at jobs they don't like and have given up hope for any kind of a life or using their talents. And so we could go off on that and talk about that for a long time. The natural I could deal with, but I'm not. I'm dealing with something else here. Peter says, if you do these things, you'll never be unemployed. I want you to take everything I just said, and I want you just to move it over to the kingdom of God. I want to ask you a question. How many millions are unemployed in the kingdom of God? No connection. No fruit. No serving, no gift, misplaced, feeling no hope to use whatever they have in them for anywhere, any place. They don't even understand it. They're so buried in life and buried with other things, they can't even imagine serving somewhere else or activating a gift or being employed, working in the kingdom of God. Not for money. I'm talking now about engagement in calling and gifting. Engagement in something that brings excitement and joy to your life. Engagement that puts you up into the category of pumped and exceedingly glad when you go to church because you get to activate something in your life. There's something that's connected, serving the community. You are employed. You are Argos. You are passionate. You're on fire with this thing. There's, there's something great about it. And you find yourself just so fulfilled going after those things. How many? In the kingdom of God, never feel that. They spectate, they go to church, they go in and out. Our fault, church's fault, that we don't equip better, we don't place better, we don't encourage better. But it could also be, on the other end of the scale, some of the people's fault. Why? I'll tell you why. If I follow the Bible right, this is what it says. Talking to an individual, Peter says, now, Frank, do you have faith in Christ? I do, Peter, absolutely. Is it radical, life-changing, regenerating? Yes. Have you been cleansed from your sin? Absolutely, Peter, absolutely, I understand it. Okay, do you have faith for your life now that you can build something on it? I certainly do, Peter, and I'm going to build something. Okay, Frank, now you need to add something else with that faith. I want you to add some virtue, some, some virtue called excellence that you would excel and run after some things in your life. Do you know what that is? I don't know what it is, Peter, but I know how to run. Okay, I'm going to get passionate, and I'm going to start praying, and I'm going to excel in the things God has called me to do. Okay, and also, Frank, when you do that, you need to understand, not only do you need to excel and find purpose and call that and gift, whatever it takes for you to find it. You better find it because you need to excel in it. I want you to put with that some knowledge. And I want that knowledge to be the knowledge of who God is, what grace is, what Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit is. And I want you to make sure you're filled with the Scripture and the Word of God. And then I want you to practice self-control, Frank. I don't want your habits to remove your energies. I don't want your habits to be obstacles to your future. I want you to kill the old man now. I don't want to 
kind of end up later on having to put you back. I want you to deal with it now. Whatever it is, I want you to deal with it in your life because you're going somewhere. This is what I think. If a person does what Peter says, it is impossible to not be engaged with your gift. It's impossible. There's no way. If you have a living faith, a living Jesus, a divine nature, divine promises, divine power, the grace of God, regeneration, you are praying, you are changing, you have knowledge, you understand Jesus and God and the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and you're pressing into the kingdom of God, there is no way you could ever be unemployed in the kingdom of God. Ever. So Peter is simply saying, to get to this point here, this this. Verse 8, 9, 10, 11 is where he wanted to start. But being a good preacher, he didn't start there. He didn't start with verse 1 and saying, I am writing an epistle to everybody that's unfruitful, everybody that's missing the mark, everybody that has lost passion. I'm writing this epistle for every person that has no knowledge, emptied knowledge. I mean, he didn't start there. He starts with the positive. And then he moves along. Then he finally says, Really what he is saying is, you that are barren, I want you to hear me. There's a reason. Number two promise, he says, you that are not only barren, but you that are unproductive. Barren is unemployed. Unproductive is no fruit. You're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the vine. You're not bearing the fruits in your life that people would say, wow, you are just an amazing person, the fruit you're bearing. Why? You can't have fruit until you have seed. If there's no seed in you, there can never be fruit. And the seed is the Word of God. The seed is prayer. The seed is all the things you have to sow into your life in order for you to have fruitfulness. And then as you move through the fruitful stage, number three, you should never become short-sighted. What is that? It's myoptic. It's the word he uses is the word we understand and that we have glasses for. See, if I take my glasses off, I can't see people now. I mean, I see shapes, but I could not even make out whom I'm looking at. I can't read the screens. I couldn't read the words on there unless I do what? Unless... I squint and find a level. What am I doing? I'm adjusting the light that's coming into my eyes because that's where nearsightedness comes from. The light that's coming in is not adjusted to the sight that's going out. Glasses adjust that for you. But I can actually do it naturally, but I'd be squinting and looking with one eye and doing funny facial expression just to say, Sharon, is that you? (laughs) Oops, sorry. (laughs) But with glasses. Oh, thank God for glasses. I think back 100 years from now, what did they do? Mr. Magoo, that's what they did. (laughs) Thank God for glasses. Now, in the kingdom of God, God wants you to what? Peter says, if you have these things, you'll never be nearsighted or shortsighted. What is that? People that only pay attention to the immediate things around their life. They have no goal, no target, no ultimates. 
They don't even work for the ultimate. They only work for this Friday's dinner and next Saturday this and that soccer game and this date and we're going to do that and vacation is coming in two weeks and everything. Everything is around the immediate. There's nothing around the purpose. I want to ask you another question. How much time do you spend thinking about purpose? Vision, longevity, the mile high look, looking way out there. Well, sometimes when, when we have problems, we become short-sighted, nearsighted. We have to get our character back to the place it should be so we can become, write this down, God-sighted. We can see what God wants to do. You know, Colonel Sanders with his chicken story. Do you realize he didn't get started until he was 65? I bet you don't know this. When he took his chicken recipe on the road, bought himself a white suit, the reason he did it is because he got a 65-year-old retirement check from the government, a Social Security check, for $105. He was so angry, he hit the road. He says, I am not going to let the government do this to me. I'm going to do something about it. Before that, nothing was ever in his mind about his chicken. He got into his car, bought himself a white suit, who knows why, the righteousness of Christ or the righteousness of chicken, he bought it. Got into his car, went around the nation sleeping in his car. You know how many restaurants said no to him every single time before he ever heard one yes? 1,009 restaurants. 1,009 times it was no. Thank you. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. A thousand and nine times. But because he had somehow a vision for something that was beyond the nose, the nose didn't stop him. And finally, 1,010, one little restaurant said, we'll try that. And the rest is history. When the lady who wrote Harry Potter, whatever you think about Harry Potter, when the lady wrote Harry Potter, she turned her manuscript in to 26 small, medium, and large publishers. They all told her, keep your day job. It's a horrible idea. Children's books with this kind of story will never fly. 26 times. I know what it's like to be turned down. I'm an author. I know what it's like and what it takes to get your manuscript ready to send to a publisher. It is one boatload of work. And I've heard no, 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 no. But I've had some yeses. She had 26 major no's. And the person who said yes was a small little publisher. And the publisher said, I don't think you'll make not even a penny on this book but I will at least take it to this level because there's nothing in what you want to do. Well, the rest is history. After now, she's made $10 billion. The rest is history. If I could go through all the people 
who did not let short-sightedness rob them from the God sights. It might get your attention to quit paying attention to the short-sighted no's and pick yourself up until you get to the yes. Awesome. Can I hear an amen? amen? No, you can't go to our school. Apply for another one. Michael Jordan dropped out of high school basketball. Ha, 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 to that coach. He's forever known as the person who cut Michael Jordan. Ha, ha, ha. You might be the Michael Jordan of wherever God wants to take you, and you have a great future, a great life, and a great vision, and a great purpose. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for those things down here. Don't be nearsighted, myoptic. Don't let that short-sightedness rob you of the God-sightedness that God wants for your life. Add that to your life. Pick yourself up and move forward. It deserves a better clap than that. you got to move forward. Not let. Just what's in your mind. Stop you. Number four, can you even believe Peter would even risk saying this one? If you do these things, you'll never stumble. <laughs> wow. Well, let me finish it because the Greek word brings it out clearly. It doesn't say you'll never fail. It doesn't say you won't step off the path. It doesn't say that. What it says in context and how this word is used, you won't have a final failure. You'll get up. You'll get back on track. You might make a mistake, but because Christ is in you, faith is in you, excellence is in you, all the things that you have are in you, you'll never just stay down and say, nothing's going to happen for me. You'll get back up and you'll move onto the path. Abraham had flaws. God restored him. Come on, King David. Jeez. Problem there. What about Gideon? Hmm. What about Joshua? Hmm. What about Reuben? What about, I mean, we start going through all the people in the Bible. What about Peter? Who wrote this? I'll never leave you, Jesus, ever. Within 24 hours. He's lying to a little girl while he's warming himself at the fire. A girl who means nothing, has no authority to do anything. He lies to her. Had a flaw. Jesus is able to take your flaw and make it strength. He's able to take your step off. And when you step back on, it's stronger. 